welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I'm going to talk about the lay down lever part 85. I'm sure I'm sure of it. I'm sure we're on 85 and that's good because you can't keep talking about I me. Mean, you can't not keep talking about it. It's like that's all you think about. It's just I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. And I'm going to come at it for just a slightly different angle from parts of it. Um, I've been asking the Godhead, what's it like for them to have laid down lovers? Like I think about, you know, obviously from this side of the aisle, I think about how in my own personal life, how can I you know, lay down more? How can I be willing to offer it more? How can I um, just be willing to move when he says move? Like, I just want to keep positioning my heart to um, always be in a mode of vulnerability and moldability. And so I think that's, that's kind of how I see it. And then, of course, being on the pastor's side, it's helping people, you know, to shape motives and desires to really be on that on that um, train of thought as well. And just, you know, um, just their own personal development. And so I think on that side of the aisle, I think a lot about that. But but I've just been thinking about how does it feel for Daddy God, for the Holy Spirit and for Jesus to have their laid down lovers. I think, um, you know, there's a part of, of course, I think it, you know, obviously it hurts his heart, hurts their hearts to not have laid down lovers. But I, I'm not even necessarily coming at it from that angle. I'm just thinking about what the joy is for the Godhead to really have people that are sold out to them and hungry to have all that they have to give. You know, I know that everybody's at different levels. And so, you know, he, he they all really, um, they cheer us on in all of our levels. You know, I, I love, obviously, whenever raising kids, you can really celebrate all of their maturity levels. You know, there's not a part of it that you don't like. You know, it's like, man, I love that part. I love, you know, when it be your first learning how to talk. Oh, I love your first steps. You know, there's all the different angles and all the different uh, maturity levels that, that they, that they're so fun to watch. And I really think that God had loved so much, just the graduation from one level to the next level. And I don't, I don't know if y'all have ever watched the passion of the Christ. Has anybody watched it? Um, it's pretty graphic. Um, I actually wanted to play some of it tonight, but then I had a beautiful check on that. And so I decided not to do that. But um, if you haven't ever watched it, it paints a really beautiful picture of the work of the cross. And I don't think you know, I haven't ever seen a movie that's really put it in the kind of detail that they did it in. It was really, really amazing. I actually had watched just a little thing um that talked about what he went through to even make the film. I think he had to have like two heart surgeries. Um, he actually had, he got hypothermia. Um, his shoulder got um, dislocated. Like it was, he got hit by lightning. It was just like some crazy things that happened during the filming of, of that movie. And I think what... What I was really praying about was the the great length that Jesus went so that we could be his laid down lovers. And, you know, the part of whenever you look at the cross, it, sh it shows God's hatred for sin. You know, you can't you can't look at the cross and then diminish God's hatred for things that offend his heart. Like, I, I love that sin isn't the problem now for us, right? It's not because we are wrapped in Jesus and, you know, we're not out just blatantly trying to sin. 
However, that doesn't mean that we just let active sin in our life just go away without doing something about it. You know, obviously, um, God really, really doesn't love sin. He hates it. And Jesus went to great lengths to make sure that we could be completely rid of it. And so whenever I look at the work of the cross, I see God's great love and desire for a people to be able to live a life that's sinless and that is completely free of all defilement. And so that really means that we personally don't have any excuse to be able to live as one with him. Things can't be too hard. Things can't, um, you know, be too much. We can't have more than what we can handle. That can't be true because if you look at the work of the cross, it's just impossible. Because he, he just really went to great, great, great um, lengths to make sure that we would be able to have a life and have it in abundance and have it uh, full of power. And so I was thinking about just what was Jesus's perspective of us, of him having a laid down lever in us. And so then, of course, that leads me to the cross. And I wasn't going to cry. But, you know, it really assigns value to us. You can't have a value problem and understand the cross. Those two, those don't go hand in hand. Because he's the one that assigned the value of your life. And he said that you were worthy of another life. And so then I don't get the right to say that my life isn't a value. I don't get the right to say that any life isn't a value. That includes a baby in a womb. That includes an elderly person that is on their way out. I don't get the right to say if a life has value or not because they all do because Jesus died for them all. And so, you know, whenever... Whenever I think about the cross, I have to really, really make it personal. I can't, I can't make it be some broad thing. Although the enormity and the expanse is insane. You, you get that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I have to really look at this thing in a personal kind of way so that then I can see it the way Jesus sees it. Because see, if, if Jesus is looking through the cross at my life, then I don't really have any reason to not believe what he says. Because see, whenever he sees me, he's through, seeing me through a cross. He's not seeing me according to my own mess ups or fears or failures. He's seeing me through a cross that actually made me white as wool. And so then that really makes it so that I don't have any right to not believe what he says about me. And so I'm thinking he's like, man, like the devil's done because I've got my brides. They, they know what's going on. They've got me by their side. They are, they have everything that they need. And so let's go take the enemy. That's what he's saying. He's like, anything can happen because I already beat the enemy. He's already all underneath their feet, smashed like a bug. So, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do you see him that way? Do you see him that way? I think whenever... Um, if you really look at, um, if you look at the, the broad spectrum of your life and if you're looking at it through Jesus's eyes, Jesus has a certain realm. He has a plan that only you're going to be able to do the plan that he's called you to. You're the only one. He's not going to send somebody else to do it. He's asking for you to be the one that will do the plan that he's already assigned in your life. 
He already has put it in you. He has given you everything that you need. And so through his subtle lenses, there is not any excuse for us not to be able to do it because he's empowering us. He's got it. He's got it done. He done did it. That's it. He's not doing nothing more. You have what it takes. And so he is so fully convinced and what he's put in you. He's so fully convinced that what you have inside of you is enough to do everything he's called you to. Every single thing. You're not lacking nothing. You're not lacking money. You're not lacking uh, an open door. You're not lacking the know-how. God has already given you every single thing that you need to do what he's called you to do. There's no smallness because he's in you. Think of that. How can you be big with him in you? That's, you can't even be, you can't even be, I mean, how can you be small if he's in you? You know what I mean? It's not even possible. He has a plan and he's big in you. Say he's big in me. I want to just talk about just a second about grace because um, I think in the American church, I don't know that we fully understand the weight of grace. I think um, I think in this house we do pretty good. I think we get it, but obviously I'm not speaking just to everybody in the room because I think that this is actually something that keeps the church from walking in power, and that's our belief in grace. Jesus gave us grace that came with the cross. He gave us the gift of grace, but it comes with a weight of, of how we carry grace in our lives. Grace, grace is, if I ever use grace as a means to get away with something I want to get away with, then I'm not understanding the weight of grace. If, if I use grace as a means to not have to do something that I know I should do, that I'm not understanding the weight of grace. If I ever think to myself, well, self, you don't have to, it's okay that you do that this time because grace covers you. I'm not, I don't understand the weight of grace yet. See, that actually robs us of our power and it robs us of our authority. All the places that we allow any kind of loophole to get what our soul wants versus actually making it come under submission, then we're not. It's just a place that the enemy just sucks our authority right out of us. Whenever God actually, he gave us grace to empower us. He gave us grace so that we could beat the enemy. But if we use it as a means to make an excuse for staying in our lower nature, then that thing that God was giving to us as a gift ends up beating us in the butt in the back if we don't use it appropriately because we, we're, we, we misuse it. And then the enemy uses it against us. I mean, I think, you know, where we are just in, oh, I don't want to go there. Well, let me just say this. Where we are in a lot of the uh, social issues are because we have put a tagline that God loves everybody, and so you've got to love them and be okay. Well, no, God loves us, but he hates sin. He hates sin. We can't get it twisted and think that he's okay with sin and we have to love people. No, we, I mean, we have to love their sin. No, we love the people, but we have to call sin a sin. We can't just act like it's not a sin. So we have to have in our own lives, you know, we just be careful that you don't make excuses for doing things that you want to do so that you can feel good about things. Make sure that you know the weight, the weighty presence of grace in your life. Because Jesus, I promise you, Jesus never meant for grace to be an excuse to sin. That was never his intent. That is the modern day church that would say that, but that is not God. That was never Jesus. 
But Jesus did empower us to know what is good and what is bad. We have that in us to know, the Holy Spirit in us, we know. And so if you ever feel like you've gotten confused on what's right and what's wrong, I would say refer back to the manual because God has put it in you to know right from wrong. But I just really want to say, if grace for you means anything other than God being able to give you the power to do what you can't do, or the power to do what you don't know how to do, or the power to be able to do what seems impossible, if, if it's anything other than those kinds of things, then check what your definition of grace is. And the people that you come in contact with really need to know a church person that doesn't have a sloppy set of grace beliefs. We really need it. We need it to be able to love people where they are and love them into heaven. We want to love them into heaven, but we don't want to give them excuses to stay where they are. Jesus, you know, he could have he could have solved the sin problem any way he chose. I mean, think of that. The Godhead could have cleansed in any way they could have. They, they got to make it up. They were the ones that made the plan. They're the ones that decided how we would be able to walk sinless and blameless. And for some amazing reason, you know, Jesus modeled a laid down lever in its purest form. You know, we see Jesus as a laid down lover and we see the, the great cost that he paid. And, you know, we can say we're not going to get to Starbucks after and think that that's just like the most horrendous thing possible. No, my soul doesn't want to do that. You know, if there ever was a model of laid down lovers, we just have to look to Jesus. I spend a lot of time thinking about him and the sacrifice. It keeps me in a place of awe and wonder and a reality check. I, it's just a good reality check for me. That, you know, he could have done any way to purchase me back, and he chose such brutality. You know, if you haven't, if you haven't watched, if you haven't watched that, um, the Passion of the Christ, if you can handle something that's very, very graphic, then, you know, you may want to watch it. But if you can't handle graphic, then don't, because it, it really does put things into deep perspective of what Jesus paid for you. And it gives me just such a, it gives me such an awe that no cost is too great for him. No cost is too great for him. And I think I'm really speaking to a room full of people that love him and uh, really want to live their lives in a way that please him. And so that's the beauty of having a community of people that have the same heart and the same motive. But see, we're, we're coming into contact with people that they don't understand what, what this relationship is really about, what it's really like. And so if we have our foundational, our foundational things that are unshakable, then that's actually what will feed people that are coming in. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, really having just truth on what God really says and believing it for myself, knowing it, knowing that what I'm so fully convinced in what Jesus has done. I'm so fully convinced in my foundational things. That's actually how I have food to provide to somebody else. And so, you know, the world are so hungry for people that really know truth, 
They are so hungry for it. They are, they are crying out for people that will be real and they'll be honest and they won't have just a bunch of sugar-coated things to give to them, but they want the truth. They want a people that will tell them the truth and not be afraid. And it's just because the place of laid down lever that we don't give room for other things and we allow God's truth, we allow what he says to be the thing that molds our lives. That's how we have food and power and anointing to give to other people. And so we have to be able to call right things right and wrong things wrong. And we have to be able to do it in a way that's loving, but in a way that will cause a division and people will choose which direction they're going to go. And I promise whenever we do it in love, they are so hungry for something authentic and they can feel it. And so then they come. And so people are wanting to pick your fruit, have the kind of fruit that they want to eat. They want to eat the laid down lover's fruit, not the microwave Christianity. Nobody wants microwave Christianity. You get it from, you get it from the place of when nobody's looking, when nobody is seeing, when nobody is going to tell you you did good, when no one's going to tell you you did bad, whenever you're doing things for the audience of one, that's the thing that does something on the inside that reverberates on the outside and the enemy is completely helpless to stop it. He is completely helpless to stop it. See, that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. People are wanting to see glory. They are wanting to see a people that are so fully sold out and they have nothing in them that is a compromise and they are so fully sold out that the glory of God is on them and they are so hungry for it. That's the thing that the world is hungry for. They're so hungry. They don't want just another church where they go in and they have an hour in and they get out and they're done. That's not what they're hungry for. They have it. They have it. They have it where they can go online and they can watch it, but then they leave feeling so empty. And they only are going to get what you have by your fruit, by you sitting and sitting and waiting for him, allowing his truth to permeate you, allowing his truth to wreck everything about you, allowing his truth to be the center of your life, that you don't allow anything else to come in other than what the truth is saying to you. That's what we can give to Jesus. I'm thinking of Jesus on the cross and he paid this debt for me. Surely I can give him him all of me surely he's worth doing anything I can to lay down in this life to just spend my life in reverence to him the price he paid for me is so great I think of how much he loves the fragrance of our breaking our breaking our breaking has a fragrance that he loves he loves it he loves, he loves our brokenness before him. It's so, so beautiful to him. He loves our weak places. He loves for us to need him. He loves for us to call out to him. He doesn't want a bunch of adults that don't need him anymore. He loves the childlikeness where we never need, we never lose our need for him. We have to always have our need on for him. Something happens where we think, oh, I'll get to some place that I don't need it like I need it now. Oh, God, no. Please keep needing it. Please keep needing him the same way. Keep having that childlike need that you don't even know what to do without him. You don't even know what to do. I was so confronted with just my own way that I can just move. I can just get something in my head and I can just go and I don't ask him. I just keep going. And I just know that I don't want to do that. I want to do everything with the dove in mind on my shoulder. I want to do everything with him in mind. And so I don't even want to think that I am so adultish that I just go do what I need to do to get a handle whenever I don't even check in with him. 
He wants to be part of our every day. He wants to be part of everything, of everything, of everything. He wants to be part of everything. He loves to just be included. He loves, he loves to be noticed. Oh, he just, he called us a worthy cost. It was so worthy. The cost for us, it wasn't too much. Surely, surely I can see my life in the same way. Surely I can see that everything matters. Everything matters. My motives matter. My desires matter. My heart conditions matter. They all matter. Jesus made it possible. For us to live a life. that is just so beautiful and fragrant. It's not done from perfection. It's not done from doing everything right. It's not done from not making mistakes. It's just done by being on our knees in our surrendered posture. It's just that surrendered posture And that surrendered posture, the beauty of the cross gets shown. It gets to be on display through our lives. And we don't count our lives as our own when we don't count things that we give up as even a cost. Whenever you look at the cross, it's like, Cost is so, it's so minimal. Whenever I look at the price that he paid, it's the cost in this life seems so childish. Through Jesus' eyes, You know, the laid down levers, they're just all conquerors. They're conquerors before they even believe they're conquerors. They're conquerors when they're still in the middle, learning how to overcome it. He already called them that. He already called us an overcomer before we overcame. The beauty of the cross means that I get I get the reward of somebody else's life. I love that maturity is such the dad's heart. He loves maturing. 
He loves the process of us maturing. He loves us getting our knees. He loves our imperfections. Do we? Do we love those? He loves the ability to mess up so greatly and turn around and act like you've never sinned in your life. He loves that you have the audacity to believe that, that you have the audacity to believe that you're sinless. I love that scripture where it says, come together, let's hash this out, let's reason together. Though you are red as crimson, you are white as wool. Sometimes we have to reason that out, don't we? In Philippians 2, it says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought of seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant he became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. You know what's so beautiful? Something that you notice that as, as, as more real estate gets taken over in your heart, as, as more territory, you know, of course he comes to reside in us, that's true, of course, but as, as he begins to have our motives, have our thoughts, have our desires, as he, as he begins to have more in us, then there's some things that just come along with the outflow. You know, it's kind of like, 
whenever, whenever like you're in the presence and you're, you're, you know, you're feeling just him and you're just, his presence is so sweet. Like you're not having like all these really super selfish thoughts. You're not like me first. You know, it's like, it's like the more that he takes up residence in your heart, the more that your heart just changes to match his. It's like the more the, and it's not even something that you have to read. It's just, it's like, it changes your nature. It changes everything about you. The more that you change just the way you think about people, then it makes you want to give to people. It makes you want to serve people. It makes you hungry to see God move in people's lives. That's the work of the cross in us. That's him having his way where we no longer hold on to our old selfish ways, but we gladly give them up for Jesus to have his way in us and through us. But it comes from just places of surrender. Uh, it's not even so many of the things of the kingdom are not about fighting to make it happen for yourself. It's mostly just all about the leaning position. It's the place of of being okay with needing. It's being okay with just needing him to be the one that does it in you. I know I was, um, he, had, he had given me that word, I don't know, it was probably a couple months ago, but he showed me, I talked about it um, at um, Zoom prayer, but he showed me the sailboat on the sea and it started picking up crazy speed and it was going super, super, super fast. And he was showing me that that's the life of, of the laid down lover, that it's not even about trying to fight the waves and trying to make it happen, but it's more about just surrendering to what he's speaking. It's not having to go and acquire a bunch of knowledge to make something happy for yourself but it's actually getting settled in and being at rest and yielding when he says yield, go when he says go. Like it's more of a response to him that is what is what picks up the cells. That's the wind in our cells. That's the thing that that's the that's the fathering heart of God that we don't have to do it all ourselves, that he loves to bring things to us. But a lot of times we can get afraid and want to do it ourselves. And then do you notice how things get hard? Things get hard. Fear gets introduced. Then you start. That's whenever you can start comparing and start, you know, maybe just that selfish nature can come out. But, you know, the more that we can just lean in with him and trust him then the cells are just on full and he, he can just be trusted to bring everything to us that we need. That's the sweetheart of God. Um, I'm running out of time. Um, let me just, um, before I finish up, I just want to just touch on a few things. Um, I was talking to the Holy Spirit about the laid down lover in his eyes and he took me to... Um, uh, Ephesians, yeah, uh, Ephesians 4.30, and it's the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. And I love um, in Strong's, it says to distress, reflexively or passively to be sad, cause grief, grief be in heaviness, sorrow, or make sorry. And um, the Thayer's definition says to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness, cause grief, to throw into sorrow, to grieve offend, or to make one uneasy, cause him a scruple. I was thinking about that um, from the Holy Spirit's point of view. What's it like for the laid down lovers? You know, and I think 
a really good way to sum this up is that he's at home in us. We aren't taking him places that aren't what he would want to be. We're thinking of him. When we're speaking, we're thinking of him. And here's just, this is just a really short little list of things that he loves. He loves a hilarious giver. Yes, that's found in 2 Corinthians. It says, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. So that's something that he loves. Just saying, if you want to make the Holy Spirit at home, do things he loves. Hey, it's not, it's not complicated. He loves the world. Of course, that's found in John 3.16. We all know that one. He loves what is just and righteous. He loves those who love him. And he loves those he disciplines. So I just have to read this one really quick because um, this one's such a great pill to swallow. It goes down really nice and smooth. It's really easy. Um, it's in Hebrews 12.6. It says, for the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. The Aramic word used here means nurturing love, a mother's love. This passage shows both the strength of a father's love and how God disciplines us and the nurturing care of a mother's love. The Aramic could be translated the Lord shows his nurturing love or mercy to those he is sanctifying. See, that's beautiful. And then it says, and when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. The Aramic word for draw you to himself is nagad, which can mean scourge, which can mean severely punish. Or attract to draw or tug the heart. The Greek is the Lord scourges. Is it scourges? Scourges. Yeah, that's it. Uh, chastises every son he receives. That just really messes with the ability to not want any kind of correction. That makes you want to run to it, doesn't it? Um, uh, what he hates. So we know what he loves. Let's talk about some things he hates. You want to? So he hates. These are six evils God truly hates and a seventh that is an abomination to him. Putting others down while considering yourself superior. Spreading lies and rumors. Spilling the blood of the innocent. Plotting evil in your hearts toward another gloating over doing what's plainly wrong, spouting lies in false testimony, and stirring up strife between friends. These are entirely despicable to God. That's good to know. You're not in question. I love it. He doesn't make it hard. Things I love, things I hate. So it makes me want to put a lot more in the column of things that I'm doing that he loves than not loving, hating. Um, I just want to read this word um, in closing up. Um, I actually have two words, but I, I don't, I'm not going to re read them both. But um, I was just talking to him. I really love to just hear how he sees my life. And what his viewpoint is. You know, we can really have a set of lenses that can be good or bad. We can see, never see anything that we good as, that we do as good. Or we can see everything. We can't see anything bad that we do. You know, so I'd like to talk to him about how he sees my life. What he, um, what I'm doing that he loves. Things that I need to tweak. I need that. I really, really love that. But I wanted just to read this, what, what I talked to him about. But it says, Daddy, there's this one life we all have. There's this one place we all can share from. This heart-to-heart -heart place with you. 
I see how well you went first. I see how you removed all the obstacles that would get in the way of love. I see you have moved heaven and earth so that I could walk with you. I know some of what you've done for me. To think I know all you've done is smallness at best. You have made worlds and worlds I know nothing of. You have painted landscapes and landscapes that I have yet to explore. You have created worlds that I have never seen, way beyond my most vivid dreams. It's so far out of my realm of thought. I don't know the depths of your love, although it was modeled on a cross. Even the pain of what that cost is something that escapes me. I simply do not know. I can, in my own reasoning, try and comprehend it. I can watch movies and I can read books, but still I cannot know. I simply have no words to describe what I don't even know. I don't know the pain inside. I don't know the pain of the three in one. I don't know the pain and the tears that were cried. I don't know the raw feelings and emotions that all three dared to not hide. I can't imagine what the final days must have been like. Daddy, I can't understand as a father what it would be like for you, knowing it wasn't your means to stop the brutality. You felt every blow. You heard every cry. Yet it was all well worth it to have us by your side. I don't know, Daddy. There's a part of me that wants to know. I want to get it. I want to understand it. I'm not even sure why. Maybe so I can understand the tears you cried. Maybe so that I can, for a moment, appreciate even more what Jesus did for me. I want to know all these things, yet there's another answer I seek. What is it like for you to have your laid-down bride? What is it like to have a fighter by your side? What is it like to have a mate that longs for you as you long for her? What is it like to have your own kin think like you? What do you enjoy about it? I sense you have an endless hope. Since you know the ending, I know you look onward with excitement. What is it like to have those that can't stand the fight? They are in and out like they changed their clothes. What is that like for you? I sense your great joy over them. I sense your longing to be what they need. I sense you wanting to be closer, yet closer still. I can feel your love you long to give. Daddy, I would like to hear from your heart to mine. Oh, daughter, I have an endless stream of mercy. I have what some may call senseless. It makes no sense for me to love as I do. It makes no sense to allow what I do. Yet it's all from people that don't understand love. It's incomprehensible. It can't be contained. It can't be measured. It's not something you can put in a jar. It's not something you can contain in books. Words are not able to convey all that it is. It's why the living expression came. It's why the word came in human form to demonstrate in all its ways. My love is patient. It's kind. It's full of mercy. It's long-suffering. It's not frustrated and arrogant. It forgives over and over. It fathers you. It nourishes you. It understands you. It gets you. 
I don't look at all the places you haven't done right. I celebrate all of your steps in just the right stride. I celebrate you in every walk of life. I see you in struggle and in pain. I see you and I am never mad at you. I am kind beyond kind and I am gentle beyond gentle. I am easy. You can give my message of hope that I am easy to please. I am closer than a brother. I'm as understanding as a friend. I am loyal to every breath you take. If you ever want to know when this love grows cold, look into my burning eyes of desire. You'll find an ember always on fire. So, Daddy, we just thank you that your eyes are longingly looking on us pursuing us. Daddy, thank you for each person that hears my voice tonight. May they know the great love of a father that loves. May they know how pleased you are. May they know how easy you are. May they know the love, the height, the depth, the width, Daddy, may you grant us more understanding of your love. Daddy, thank you for loving us so well, for being perfect in all your ways. So, Jesus, we just say that your life displayed is the life we want to model. We don't want to hold anything from you. You gave us your all. You held nothing back. You gave the very best you had so that we could be yours. So, Daddy, we just say that in this year, 2022, United States of America, you can have all of us in this plot of land at this time. You get the rights to our life. So we just thank you, sweet, sweet dad. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay